All right, so today marks this new preaching series that is going to take us through September. Now, back in 2021, Tisa picked up this devotional to read by Dr. Keller that was simply on Proverbs. So in 2021, she began reading it, and then this started happening in our morning devotional. She would read it, and then she would just kind of slide this over to me and just say, you need to read today's devotional. That was kind of her sweet and precious way of saying, God needs to knock you out with whatever this devotional content is about today. God needs to convict you on some things. So as this happened more and more in 2021, I thought, you know, I'm already reading this like every other day. I might as well start reading this devotionally in 2022. For the opening months of 2022, God used this tiny devotional on Proverbs just to cut my heart time and time again, not literally, spiritually. And that totally fits with God's work in our lives because God does not merely want to cut out tablets of stone and write his word on it and give it to you. God's promise, even from back with Moses on the mount, was not just to give us tablets of stone, but to cut God's word into our hearts. That was the real emphasis of Jewish circumcision. Now, as you know, summertime is the season when I get to map out the following year's preaching and teaching calendar. So by summer of 2022, I knew that we had to experience and go through a preaching series through Proverbs. In 2023, this was one of two devotionals that we encouraged you to pick up this year and to begin reading. Many of you have, some of you maybe perhaps have not, but I still encourage you, it's just April, and we are going to be going through Proverbs together through September. So what's holding you back from maybe getting yourself a copy and joining us as we are in Proverbs for the next couple months? As we begin our preaching series on Proverbs, you need to ask this question, well, what is a proverb? Because there's lots of proverbs out there. There's Near Eastern proverbs, Asian proverbs, African proverbs. But what is a biblical proverb? You see, biblical proverbs are far more than short, pithy sayings that offer advice to you that may show up sometimes on a Hallmark card. Biblical proverbs are not absolute commands. And here's what I mean by this. In one place, and we'll maybe take a look at this this summer. In one place, Solomon will tell you to exhort the scoffer. Someone who thinks they know everything, they reject advice, they never listen to you. Sometimes you need to sit them down and exhort them. There's a proverb for that. But then on the other hand, you can turn to Proverbs, and then Solomon says, distance yourself from the scoffer. Do not try to reprove someone who thinks they know everything. Leave them alone. And the wise person asks, which proverb is true? And the wise person answers, they're both true. It takes discernment, and it takes real biblical wisdom to know which proverb to apply for what circumstance. That's what we're after in this series over the coming weeks and months. We pray that God will give to you wisdom and discernment to live well in this life. So the wisdom of Proverbs is so much more than philosophy. It's so much more than moralism. But applying these Proverbs to your life, I, I tell you this, it is going to make you 
feel like a good person. If you take this seriously and you try to apply some of these things to your life, you're going to feel good about yourself. But morality, for morality's sake, will not satisfy you for long. Your flesh will come, start whispering things to you that you've done it good enough, you've tried it long enough, let's do what your body says. So sheer morality is not enough for you. Proverbs acknowledges the complexities of life, both its beauty and its brokenness. Proverbs 2, because it is God's word, it acknowledges that life is more than one plus one is two. Proverbs encourages you to work hard, yet it also lets you know and gives you the heads up that the world and the people that we build relationships with our lives are broken, and so broken that sometimes what we have worked so hard for can be destroyed in a moment, that you can be extorted of it in the blink of an eye. See, Proverbs, unlike any other wisdom in the world, acknowledges the brokenness of humanity, that it's not all rainbows and sprinkles, that you can do one plus one and it equals negative ten sometimes in life. All of this necessitates that you need more than yourself as your moral compass. You need more than the ideas and the philosophies and the sayings of American culture to build your life on. You need God's wisdom. And thank God he has given it to us in Jesus and in his word. Because God created life and God created you, that you are not the mere byproduct of American culture or of the romantic relationship of your mother and your father. As your author, God knows you infinitely better than you do. Now, if you've read the Proverbs before, which many of you have and they're beloved to you, you know that the Proverbs are not structured by topic. Eventually, you can get into Proverbs and you can read five verses and it could be on five different topics, right? Our Proverbs series is going to be organized a little different than how we've done things in the past. John 1, 1, then John 1, 2, then John 1, 3, which we've been accustomed to throughout the years here together. Oh, and by the way, today marks the end of my eighth year as your preaching and teaching pastor. And we are still going through the scriptures, even though we're bouncing around by topic, we'll still be going through word by word, verse by verse. So we pulled together Proverbs for you from now until September. That's going to be collected from all over the scriptures, combined together to give God's wisdom on a particular topic. Our Proverbs series offers a promise to you. That a truly wise life is not built on what you think. It's not built on what your loved ones think. It's not built on what your romantic relationships want you to believe and say and do. A truly wise life is truly built on God above all other options. So let's jump in and let's get started. Our proposition today, what I hope that God will convince you of, is this. Is that all kinds of people, doesn't matter what type of person you think you are. I'm not religious. I'm too cool for that. All kinds of people can become wise, but here's the condition. If they build on a foundation that fears God, 
above all. And we need to clarify today what Solomon means by the fear of the Lord. So the promise of Proverbs said all kinds of people can become wise. And Proverbs, you will see, will address many different kinds of people. The tempted. So if you are tempted in this season of life, there's going to be Proverbs for you. The young. So if you consider yourself to be young, and here I am just a couple months before the changing of a decade in my age, for those who consider themselves young, there are Proverbs to help you. For the naive, the simple-minded, the fool, the scoffer, the righteous, and more. Proverbs addresses all kinds of people, man or woman, rich or poor, no matter what your experience or your history, you can become wise. But there's a condition in this proposition. Real wisdom has a real foundation. And it's not what has been ingrained in you as an American to believe should be the foundation of your life. Because we like to say that our relationships are the foundation of our lives. That's partially true because God has crafted you in his image. And God is all about his son. And the reason why you want to value relationships above all, because God has formed you with a hope-shaped heart. And the shape of that heart is the cross, right? Today, I want to poke at your life for a little bit. And I want to poke at really what is your foundation. The most important claim of Solomon through these Proverbs is that wisdom is built on a person. And I pray that you and I are not too foolish enough today to think that what's built, our lives are built on, is ourselves, our marriages, our children, our jobs, or on America. Real wisdom is built on a person. And this person, in the ultimate sense, is Jesus. Real wisdom begins with God, because God is the beginning, not you. If honestly, if you were the beginning of all things, I would want to trust in you because you created it all. But you were not there when the foundations of this universe were laid. You did not speak it to be. Just as God approaches Job in his suffering. Where were you, Job, when I laid the foundations, when I created behemoth, right? Real wisdom begins with God because God is the beginning. God is the author and the creator of all things in this life. So therefore, real wisdom begins by seeing God rightly. The dilemma, the irony of it all is that you and I cannot see God rightly because our eyes are closed off to him naturally, which is why we sing in our liturgy, open up our eyes in wonder. We can't open up our eyes ourselves to see God as he should. God must do this. And he uses his word to help open the eyes and to help cut the heart. A topic we've talked a lot about over the eight years that we've been together. We call this the fear of the Lord. And today, our goal is to clarify what the fear of the Lord is. So you ready to get started and go through some of these Solomon Proverbs together? Let's begin. In our first point, you're going to see Solomon's call for you to build a meaningful life by beginning with God's instruction. Typically, especially as Americans, we have different boxes in life. Here's our family life. Here's our marriage life. Here's our work life. Here's our hobby life. And if there is time left over, if I don't have to meet people for lunch today, or if I don't have to see family for this or that today, 
then I'll bring my God box into it. You see, in America, American Christians, God is the afterthought. Oh, there's another service on Saturday night. Oh, I can live stream this. And God is left behind. But the wisdom of Proverbs is this. If you want to live a meaningful life, God just isn't a box in your life. God is the beginning of everything. You start with God. He's not the afterthought. You think about sex and romance and relationships and money and family and family discipline, children discipline, parenting, generosity, how to deal with relationships. All things we'll cover in Proverbs this year. It begins with God, not let God be the afterthought. Solomon says that is the way of the fool. And I pray that maybe for some of you today that God will cut your heart because Christianity begins when you can acknowledge I am that fool. That's real Christianity, and that's real wisdom. Proverbs is a part of the Jewish Bible called the writings, or the ketavim in Hebrew. We call it the wisdom books. That's Job and Psalms and Proverbs, Song of Songs, or the Hebrews called the canticles. The best of Solomon's wisdom, which is all about romantic relationships, and Ecclesiastes. The wisdom books warn us that life is far more beautiful and at the same time far more broken than what you can ever feel or imagine or think. Now that's a comfort and that could be debilitating. Life is far more beautiful than even what America and American philosophy thinks, but it's also far more broken. Despite this brokenness, there's hope today. A person, despite all the brokenness, can still build a meaningful life. But this is Solomon's conviction. A meaningful life begins with God himself. He's not the afterthought. He's the foundation. And the true Christian isn't someone who says, oh, I go to church. I believe in Jesus. The true Christian is the one that doesn't have God as afterthoughts, but as the foundation that centers in everything that's built upon. God gives meaning to all facets of life. And we'll see this throughout the Proverbs this year. But here's the thing. A person, or I'll personalize it, you must be in a position and a posture to receive instruction from God. My proposition today is that the beginning of all of this is God's instruction. This necessitates that you must be in the position today and you must be in the posture to receive instruction from God. Now, here's a good thing. You're halfway there. You are literally, physically here right now. But that's not enough. It is not good enough that you're just here physically, literally, in a room, literally hearing. Because wives, you can attest to this, and I know I'm going to get an amen. You can be in a physical, literal position to hear someone speak, but not truly be listening. Oh, the guy said amen. Uh-oh. And likewise, you can be in a literal position Sunday after Sunday, Wednesday after Wednesday, exposing yourself to God's word, literally going through the physical activity of hearing, but not be in a heart posture to hear God's word. And I will have to say, ending my eighth year and beginning my ninth year, this is one of the biggest things that grieves my heart, and that 
what is the correct feeling to describe this? The crippling feeling of which knowing that we can encourage you to come to church, but I can't make you truly listen. I don't have the ability to change your heart posture. Only God does. Only thing I can do, starting year nine and forward, for many, many years, God willing, is to faithfully and clearly present what God wants for your life through his word and not just make this little God talks. All of this depends. Position and posture depends on whether you fear the Lord. Now, when Solomon was young and he became the king of Israel, God told Solomon, you can ask for whatever you want and I'll give it to you. In probably like a month or so, you'll get into this once you get done with Judges and our yearly reading. You'll see this experience between Solomon and God. That's a pretty sweet, sweet deal, right? Not only is he king now, but the king of all things is going to give him whatever he wants. What is Solomon going to ask for? Solomon was David's son. He was already king. He had money. He had wealth. He had influence. He had power. And too many today, that's already a sweet enough deal. I have wealth, I have power, I have control, I have influence. That's all I need for a meaningful life, but not for Solomon. And this is the warning to you, that you can give your life to influence and be an influencer and to be influenced. You can give your life to power and control, and you can give your life to wealth to give you the false sense of security. But the richest man in the entire universe that would make Elon Musk and Bill Gates look like paupers. To Solomon, that was not enough. Solomon in the Bible disagrees. Power, money, and influence cannot secure this meaningful life for you. It will only give you the illusion that you're currently in control. Out of all things... Solomon responded to God and said, give me a wise and a discerning heart. Do that. This shows us that wealth and power and influence cannot lead to a lastingly meaningful life. Solomon was king, but power, wealth, and influence could not give him wisdom. He could not go to the market and purchase wisdom for his life. He cannot sign a decree as a king and say, give me wisdom in this life. Isn't that the ironic thing? He had everything in the world, but the one thing he really needed and the one thing that he really needed, he could not secure himself. It must have been frustrating maybe for kings and people in power, but not for Solomon. He prays to God and says, give me wisdom, and God is faithful. Let's begin. I want us to begin by looking at verses 2 and 3. Solomon says, know wisdom and instruction. Discern the sayings of understanding." Receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity. Solomon tells us the purpose of his Proverbs. Proverbs is written for you to know, for you to learn, and for you to be instructed. Solomon begins Proverbs by putting you in a position to learn. But this is hurdle number one. Because you come to church... You come to romantic relationships, you come to family, you come to your jobs with a disposition that hates authority. You come to all of these things 
with this idea that you want to be your own self-governing authority. No one across the pond should rule us, and we will throw their tea in the harbor if they think they can. That's what it means to be Americans, right? We are our own self-governing authority, and it fits so nice with our nature. Why does the whole world want to still come to this country? Because it fits the narrative of the flesh. That kind of attitude works against the gospel. Solomon expects the reader to gain wisdom by putting Proverbs into practice. And that can only happen if you are continually putting yourself in a position and your heart in a posture to learn. And that's hurdle number two. The proverb helps you to know instruction. Now, by this, Solomon means that wisdom, if you were to take a look at this word in Hebrew, this is acquiring wisdom through training. This is acquiring wisdom through sitting underneath someone. So it's no confusion that about four to 500 years after Solomon, Judaism shifted. It shifted from temple worship to synagogue worship. Not with a high priest, but with a rabbi. And eventually rabbinical schools would develop where people would give their lives to follow a rabbi. To which then our Lord would come on the scene shortly after that, and have 12 men who would put their lives underneath him as rabbi. It's because true wisdom comes by sitting underneath someone. In the ultimate sense, wisdom comes from sitting underneath God as your teacher. Solomon tells us that wisdom will not happen overnight. Wisdom is not an instant process. So if you're looking for drive through burger wisdom, you're not going to get it from the Proverbs. If you're looking for instant wisdom and instant gratification and instant results, Proverbs are not for you. And I would probably say that Christianity is not for you. We continue as heritage moving forward to affirm that we don't look at the instant. We don't just look at here and now what someone wants to say today, right now, in the moment. We look at, as a church, a person's words and actions over time. And that's continually going to be a driving force as our wisdom in our relationships for our church family. Wisdom comes through training and instruction. This is about putting yourself underneath God and his word as your teacher. But you and I see things upside down. We invert things. We don't want to put ourselves underneath God and his word. We want to put ourselves on top of God and on top of God's word. So if God, doing the God thing, can give me a better job, can make my wife happy, can make my family dynamics a little bit better, then I guess I'll, I'll be around. That's not Christianity. Wisdom is learning how to discern. Wisdom gives you the ability to distinguish between what is meaningful and what is not. And only God's wisdom can do that. Many people waste their time by giving it to things that do not ultimately matter. When I was transitioning from college to seminary, there's a particular online game that I played. I was a big video game person. And I gotta, I gotta speak to her, guys. I'm not discounting playing video games. So don't think I'm, I'm trying to attack you right now. This is an illustration. I made a decision 
you know, also during this time of getting married, that life's a little different now, and I need to taper that off. And I'll never forget when I stopped playing this game. During this time, it lets you know how much time you spent logged in to that game. Church, it was months. Months of my life that I cannot get back devoted to a game that doesn't even matter. Solomon promises to you that if you put your life not under him, not underneath a pastor, but underneath Jesus and his word and his teaching, he will give you discernment to know what's meaningful and what is not meaningful. Having a hobby and having a rhythm of rest and relaxation is essential. Don't get me wrong, okay? That's just my story that I needed to share. Okay. Then Solomon tells you what godly instruction will do to you. It impacts behavior. He says righteous living, justice, and equity. And I want to focus for a moment on equity because equity is a huge buzzword in American culture today. On social media, in businesses, in corporations, and in governments. And you're entrenched in all of that. By equity, Solomon means an ordered and a level path. Solomon acknowledges this. There is unrighteousness in this world. There is injustice in this world. And there is inequity in this world. And for a moment then, Solomon could sound like a liberal. And I say thank God that he does in this case. Because the liberal has it right that there is injustice, gross injustice, gross iniquity in this world. And if you cannot acknowledge that, you're being too extreme on the other side. Our path is not ordered. It is not leveled. But when you put yourself under God, when you put yourself under his instruction, he begins to level the path for you. He begins to make it straight. He begins to make it balanced. God does this, Solomon says, by his word, by his teaching, by his instruction. So in essence, being a Christian necessitates that you acknowledge my life is not in order. There is unrighteousness, not just in this world, but in me. I'm not leveled. I'm, I'm out of whack right now. To truly be a Christian means that you acknowledge this, not just when you come to Jesus, but every single day. To be able to stand before God and stand before his people and say, I am still unrighteous. I am still out of sync. I'm still out of sorts. I'm still as broken. That's Christianity. Not having no chink in your armor, and you can't let people see the flaws in your life, and that you're simply human. That's religiosity, that's moralism, and it's not Christianity. We are bent, we are broken, and we can't fix ourselves. That's the wisdom of Solomon. And when you put yourself under God, he will begin to level you out. And he begins to level you out by putting yourself in a position to hear his word and having the heart posture to receive his word. Solomon's call is all kinds of people. And he shifts to address some of these kinds of people in his opening of Proverbs. Let's look at verses 4 and 5. Solomon says that wisdom, God's instruction, putting yourself underneath God, it gives prudence to the naive. To the youth, knowledge and discretion. 
A wise man will hear and increase in learning, and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. See, Solomon mentions four kinds of people. In the opening verses, the naive, the young, the wise, and the understanding. Giving yourself to God above all, giving yourself to God's instruction above all, will have an impact on all kinds of people. doesn't matter if you consider yourself the young, fill with the old today, or whether you're naive, or whether you already consider yourself to be wise, and understanding. For those who are naive, putting yourself underneath God and his instruction will make you thoughtful, truly thoughtful. That's what he means by prudence. For those who are young, putting yourself underneath God will help rid you of your impulsiveness. How you just burn through things. You burn through your income. You burn through your hobbies. You burn through your relationships. That's what it means to be young because you don't have the wisdom yet. That's gained by training and experience. But through Solomon, God says, even to the young, I give wisdom. For those who are already wise, because they already put themselves under God, God's not done with you. He increases your wisdom and learning. And for those who are already understanding, God gives them wise counsel. What is Solomon's point in this? is that God promises to give all kinds of people a meaningful life when they put themselves underneath his care and his instruction. With that, I want to focus on verse 7 now so that we can clarify what it means for you to put yourself in a position and a posture to learn from God. Verse 7, Solomon says of the fear of the Lord. This is the theme of Proverbs. It will be repeated time and time again. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Isn't it crazy how a book that was written a thousand years before Jesus can still speak to the nature of the human heart today? Fools despise instruction. Wisdom has a beginning. Now, in Proverbs 2, 9... Solomon says that God is the beginning of wisdom. He is that beginning. In John 1, the youthful John, son of Zebedee, who was the youngest disciple, says that in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then he says that that Word took on flesh, that it's Jesus. This Jesus, John claims, is the wisdom of God that created all things by speaking it to be. And that should be motive number one, to know that God is greater than you. That you need to sit underneath God and not God sit underneath you. Because he created everything by speaking it. What can you create by speaking? Hey, mountain, move! Mountain's still there, right? Solomon says the first step to wisdom is fear of the Lord. This is not about being afraid of God, afraid of what he may say, afraid of what he may do. That's moralism again. That's transactional religion. I'm not going to do this because if I do this, I'm afraid of what may happen to me. That's not what Solomon means by the fear of the Lord. That kind of fear is crippling. That kind of fear lacks a security of God's love. 
throughout Jesus' interactions with his disciples, and we just spoke about this on Wednesday, which once again reinforces the connections of why we do, we gather together in some sort of process and routine together the church family. Because if you remember on Wednesday night, we spoke about how Jesus interacted with his disciples, and he constantly repeated the phrase, do not fear, it is I. No phobos, ego, and me, Right? Fearing the Lord is about seeing Jesus for who he truly is. And remember what we sang about moments ago. God has to open up our eyes. Because it's not natural for you to see that Jesus is king, that he is creator, and he knows better than you and what you want to do. Fearing the Lord is about seeing Jesus for who he truly is. The disciples we looked at at Wednesday, they don't have to fear the wind. They don't have to fear the waves. Because they are in the presence of Jesus who spoke the wind and the wave into being. Now, do you notice here in verse 7 how the word Lord is in all caps? Let me tell you why your Bible does this. The astute Bible translation and publishers and translators will put Lord in all caps to let you know as the reader when a Hebrew writer is using the very name of God, which we also looked at on Wednesday. Another connection for why you need to be in this place on Wednesday nights. You're supposed to think about Moses and him tending some flocks, and he looks up at the mount, and there's this fire, and it's not getting bigger, it's not getting smaller, it just is. And he cannot help but just go up. For some reason, he has to go up this mountain and see what's going on with this fire. And God revealed himself to Moses as a bush on fire that's never consumed, that's never burnt up. And then even more, this bush speaks. And when Moses asked for God's name, and we spoke about this Wednesday, God said, I am that I am. Or in Hebrew, Chayah Yabah, where the Hebrews got the very name for God, Yahweh. And when the name Yahweh is being used, they use Lord in all caps to let you know. So now you know. If you don't know, now you know. All right? Anytime you see all caps, it's Yahweh. So who is God? God is Yahweh. It is just the un- morphed verb be. So Moses asked God, what's your name? And God goes, be. That's what be in English. I be. He's not being grammatically incorrect. He's saying something about his being. When something just is, it always was, always is, and always will be. That's why Jesus will say at the end of the scriptures that he is Alpha and Omega, beginning and end. He's trying to tell the reader, or trying to tell John, and remind John and the churches that he is Yahweh, beginning and always was, always is, always will be. Here's the thing, Heritage. You change. Whether you acknowledge this or not, you are a different person than when you entered this room this morning. If not for the, the single basis of how God has created time to aid you. If you are trying to bring back some forgotten history, some, some moment in history of when you felt good about yourself in the past, it cannot happen again. 
You are no longer the same person as you were when you even walked into the sanctuary this morning because time has already aged you. And real wisdom knows that. Time is constantly changing and changing you, but God does not change. God does not undergo decay. He doesn't get saggier. He doesn't get wrinkles. His hair doesn't turn white and just fall out in strange places. He doesn't sleep. He doesn't slumber. He is because he's Yahweh. Nations rise and fall. Egypt, Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, and one day America. And I'm, I'm not being militant here. They've all risen and they all will fall. So we don't put, as a first century Christian, we don't put our hope in Rome. And as a 21st century, we don't put our ultimate hope in America. We're Christians first, Americans second. Christians first, Roman citizens second. But God and his kingdom does not rise and fall, just is. Science and philosophies are theorized, they are tested, they're applied, and it wavers. God's word and God's knowledge stays the same. And this is another reason why I'm pleading with you that you make the basis and the foundation of your life, not you, not your country, not your philosophies, not your ideals, not what your flesh wants, not what this culture wants for you. All of those things change. One thing in existence does not change, and that's God. When you begin to see that God always was, always is, and always will be, you can begin to fear God, as Solomon says. Why? Because you realize that God knows better than you. And really, only God can convince you of that. I can't do it. I want you to take a look at Psalm 86, 11 for a moment. It's just a simple phrase that David prayed and recorded that became a part of the Jewish worship service. He writes, unite my heart to fear your name. Now, you and I don't typically associate fear with anything about the affections. Unite my heart to fear you? Because we have the wrong cultural experiences with fear. Solomon's father, King David, makes a true connection between your heart and your fear of God. What David is saying about his heart, about your heart, and about my heart, is that a divided heart cannot fear God rightly. If you come to this place today and you don't ultimately see Jesus for who he is and have a desire to live out... Your life in the way that he says is because your heart is divided. We had a hard saying for that recently in the spring. You can't serve two masters. You can't have two allegiances. You got to pick one and hate the other. We've been there. We've spoken about that. A divided heart cannot see and feel God rightly. A divided heart cannot see God for who he is because their perspective and their emotions are divided. And Solomon says, that a divided heart will make you foolish in this life. It will make you foolish. So we have to talk about the fool. Oh, the fool. I pity the fool. The fool despises all of this. Jess, if you can bring it back up to Proverbs 1-7 for a moment. 
The fool despises God's wisdom and God's instruction. The fool hates that God is the beginning and not himself or herself. The fool hates that God is and that we are not. And Solomon says that the fool despises and hates wisdom and instruction. Wisdom is one of the greatest gifts of God, and the fool hates this gift. Why? Because at the core, the fool rejects God because the fool wants to be their own functional God. This means, at the end of the day, a fool cannot be wise. It doesn't matter how many New York Times bestsellers they have written. The fool cannot be wise. The very thing that the fool wants, he cannot get because he rejects God. This means the fool cannot build a meaningful life because he builds on sinking sand and shifting sand. To truly be wise, you start by acknowledging that you are that fool. Just as to be a Christian means you have to acknowledge, I am that sinner. And with that, we turn to application. With our application, what we're going to be trying to do throughout these months is to connect the wisdom of Solomon to other wisdom books or other wise sayings. So we'll be in Job, we'll be in Ecclesiastes, maybe we'll even get some Song of Songs this summer, we'll see. And we'll especially go to the wisdom of Jesus. Because Jesus is the wisdom of God. In our application today, my call for you is this. Before you leave today, you have to figure out the foundation that you're truly building on. That's the call today. Whether you are a Christian or not, though I pray that God would change your heart, but even if you want to remain a non-Christian, Christian or non-Christian, you are building your life on something today. Both Christians and non-Christians build. But both the Christian and the non-Christian have differing foundations. So it doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not. You are building life on something. And what I want to poke at your foundation is this. Is it going to hold you up when life gets tough? When the fiercest fire of your life is inflaming you, is that a worthwhile foundation to hold you up? And I pray that you see that it's not. Whatever romantic relationship, whatever cultural standard you're setting up instead of Jesus, it will fail you. The fool begins to build with a faulty premise that there is no God or that he or she should be their ultimate authority. In America, you get in pop culture that you are what you're waiting for. Self-discovery, self-realization, self-actualization. That's the culture you're stuck in. Forcing this down you. And it feels good to your body to believe this. But the fool begins to build life with the faulty premise that he or she is ultimate authority. The Christian begins to build with a sound premise. That there always was, and always is, and always will be God. Because he is ultimate authority. The fool rejects God's word and presence. What Solomon said is the very foundation and the best foundation for life. So we acknowledge this as we begin. It is natural for you. It's natural for me. 
to reject God, to reject his presence, to reject his word, to reject his teaching. We don't want no one teaching us. And we carry that attitude into churches. During Holy Week, we looked at 1 Corinthians 1.17. That was on Good Friday, where Paul said that the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, to those with dead affections for Jesus. His word is going to be foolish. Wait, wait, you gain in this life by giving away? Wait, wait, one minus one is actually something more than one? That defies logic, but that's the gospel. We have a nature that hates to be instructed by others. I have taught Christians and non-Christians, children and adults. And I can say that it doesn't matter your age, doesn't matter your gender, doesn't matter your religion, your zip code. No one likes to be instructed. No one. We want to be our own self-governing authority. But to be a Christian means that you're aware of this, that God is growing you in this. He's giving you the desire. He's giving you the ability to reject this. So Christians yield their lives to someone in greater power. Christians yield their lives to God's word and his teaching. It will, over time, make them wise, make them discerning, make them prudent, regardless of gender or age or your zip code or your bank account. So the question is this morning, do you fear God? Meaning, do you see God for who he truly is and have a desire to live your life underneath that? Do you fear God? Because fearing God, therefore, is the essence of being a Christian. There's no such thing as somebody says they are a Christian, but they have no desire to live underneath Jesus as their Lord, as their master, as their savior, as their treasure. Or are you that fool that Proverbs mentions? Do you reject God, despise God for who he is and his word? And the question we've got to ask is, how do we even know the difference, right? It's hard. How do we know the difference between religion and genuine Christianity? How do we know the difference? And we find the answer in Jesus because Jesus is God, and Jesus is the wisdom of God. And Jesus says that adversity reveals whether you fear God or whether you're a fool. And with that, I want to turn to his conclusion for the greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount, the conclusion of Matthew chapter 7. If you remember in Matthew 7 that Jesus refers to two kinds of men. Two kinds of men. Both men build homes. They're contractors, right? Wish I knew someone I could trust like that. Both homes, after construction, experience rains and floods and winds. Both homes do. And here's maybe justice, or here's maybe equity. One home falls, and one home stands. And we ask Jesus, what is the difference between the construction of both of these homes? And Jesus says, it's the foundation. The adversities both homes experienced, tested and tried and revealed the quality of the foundation. One man set as 
his foundation for his home on what is called sand. And the other built the foundation of his home on rock. And for a moment, let us listen and let us read and let us see and let us put into our hearts what Jesus says about both men. Matthew 7, 24. Take a listen. You're in the posture. You're in the position. Put yourself in the posture now. Jesus says, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. So we ask, what is a wise man? A wise man builds homes on rock. And we ask, what is rock? And Jesus plainly tells us, the rock in this extended metaphor is hearing his word and acting on it. Something by which the men of heritage have looked at and discussed in our kindred study through James. We don't want to be men who hear God's word and forget it because we'll be men who looks into the mirror and immediately forgets who they are. We don't want to be men like that. And we spoke about this. Jesus is speaking to it now. This is the wisdom of Jesus. A wise man is the one who hears Jesus' word, that's position, and acts on Jesus' word, that's posture. Now let's look at verse 26. Jesus says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man, built his house on sand. So what is the foolish man? The foolish man built his house on sand. And what is sand? Here is sand. Sand is hearing Jesus' word and not acting that's sobering. And the conclusion that we must draw, myself and yourself, is that we are fools. That's the beginning of wisdom, and that's the beginning of Christianity. That we, too, are people who have heard God's word and had no desire to act on it. And Jesus looks outside in and says, guess what? You're building on sand. It's going to fall. The rains are going to come, the floods are going to come, the winds are going to come. You're going to fall, and how great your fall will be. What do you expect out of your life? Because you're building it on sand. All right? Wisdom begins by acknowledging, you're right, Jesus, and I'm wrong. And that's the very crisis of faith that I pray that you're at right now. Because that is where Christianity begins. That is where wisdom begins. To be put in this position to know to acknowledge, I am that fool. Adversity, rains, floods, winds, will show you what you're building life on. And if what you're building on isn't God's word, I'm here to tell you today, it doesn't matter how good it is in this culture. It doesn't matter how good this culture says that thing you're building on is. It doesn't matter how good your body tells you that thing is that you're building on. It will fail you, maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, next decade. But we've been around enough people who have said this because they've heard God's word, and then we see their lives reflect something else later on, that it's going to fall. It will fail you. The fool replaces Jesus with themselves. The fool may be in a position to hear Jesus' word. So that means 
There can be fools in American churches. I don't think so much in churches in the East because it's illegal to do it. So the fool's not going to go there. But in America, America's churches are filled with fools. Because they're in the position to hear Jesus' word, but they have no heart posture to act on it. Why? Because the posture of the fool, the heart disposition of the fool, is that I know better than you, Jesus. God, I know better than you. Did God really say? I'll take that fruit for myself. Thank you very much. So being in church today doesn't automatically make you wise. You can be in a physical position to hear God, but not be in the heart posture. So we affirm that being in a church doesn't make you a Christian. Insofar as me going to that drive through joint today doesn't make me a drive through burger. William just went. But that's what people think. I attend church. I'm a Christian. Fearing God makes you a Christian. Seeing Jesus for who he is and living off his word as your foundation makes you a Christian. Hearing and acting on Jesus' word makes you a Christian. And Jesus promises that if you build your life on his word with him as cornerstone and the foundation, the words, the prophets, and the apostles are Old and New Testament, he will make you wise over time. Your life will stand through all adversity. I have been told time and time again since I started serving churches at 15 years old that once I experience a little bit of life, then maybe I would believe different things about God. That once I experience some adversity, I'll never believe that God is fully sovereign over all things. But I have been through the ringer. And I'm even more affirmed in my heart that who God is is who God is. And it's the adversity that actually taught me that. Because God's promise is that he will make you wise, no matter if you're 15 or you're approaching the next decade, that he will make you wise. So what's the foundation of your life? I think there's three options today. Either you are your foundation, you are what you've been waiting for all your life. Or someone else is your foundation, you become whole and complete once you join yourself to another person that's not Jesus or God. There's romantic relationships. Or your foundation is God's word. I think those are the three options. The gospel says building on God's word alone is the only way to wisdom. It is the only way that you could build your life and it's not going to crumble no matter what rains and winds that you face. And at the end of our service today, i got to ask, don't you want this? Do you want to go through the shame of building your life on anything else and it crumbles and people witness it? You can't finish what you started because you built with the wrong foundation? Is your pride so big that you don't want to experience that shame one day? So I implore you, Heritage, fear God, meaning, Ask God to put you in a position to see his son as you should, as king, as savior, as Lord, as light of the world, bread of life, water for the soul. So do you fear God or are you that fool? All you have to do is look at how you respond to adversity to give you some clues. All you have to do is to question your heart 
and how it's responded to instruction today. Those will give you the clues to answer, do I fear God or am I a fool? And if you're courageous enough to say, I am that fool, then you are on the road to becoming wise because you're on the road to becoming a Christian because only God can open up your eyes and wonder at his wisdom.